Well, as John said, I'm glad um, that we could be here this morning, glad that, um, at least I'm assuming and hopefully and praying that everybody came through this week okay. It was certainly more uh, eventful than any of us, I think, expected it to be. And uh, as we are mindful of that, we we do want to think, we know, you know, our county certainly saw plenty of flooding, but some of the northern counties and, and where Pat, Tony and I are both, our home county is Pasco County, and they just can't get a break, it seems, year to year. But we know uh, many of the uh, other counties north have been affected. And last week I told you about the flood buckets that the United Methodist Committee on Relief are collecting, and that if you read the newsletter, the, the link is in the newsletter for how to put one of those together. I still encourage you, if you'd like to put one of those together, we'll get it to Lakeland next week. Uh, I said last week they're, they're going to Louisiana, and they are. But the, the Committee on Relief was concerned because they're going out so fast and they knew that there are going to be other needs and a week later there are other needs. So I um, want to just kind of keep you mindful of that or any way that you can help, um, you know, those who have been adversely affected by the storms. I uh, also want to share, I told you last week uh, we celebrated the birth of Elliot, Chris and Anne Marie's um, firstborn tank. Um, if it's because he's, if you weren't here last week, their, their birth, their son, Ellie was born a little over a week ago at nine pounds, 14 ounces and 22 inches long. So he's a big boy. Uh, there is through the, the church Facebook page. If you're on Facebook, we have a page there and there's an opportunity to sign up. If you want to take a meal, we're going to do, we're doing a meal train for them for another week. And we still have a few days available to take a meal to them at night. And that's on the Facebook page or call the church office and we'll let you know how to, how to connect with that if you'd like to, to help out and, uh, and take them something to eat. And then lastly, personal um, celebration. I just want to share with you that my, my sister-in-law, Tony's sister, my sister-in-law, Terry, my brother-in-law, David, uh, they gave birth to their little girl on Thursday. Uh, Adeline Page Butterfield, six pounds, four ounces. So a little more manageable. And uh, so we have been... Uh, we have been celebrating that, and she really is a miracle for so many ways. Um, so, so we share all of those things. I share all of those things. Now, uh, this morning, our scripture reading. I'm going to do something, and, and actually, the verses in the bulletin are 1 through 21. Um, I changed it without telling anyone else to 1 through 25, uh, because I want to do something this morning that I have never, ever done in, in ministry. In my 20-some-odd years of ministry and of preaching, I have never done this. And that is I'm going to read the entire book of a Bible to you. You're going to get the entire book of Philemon, which fortunately is only 25 verses. Um, but if you're, if you're new, if you've never read the Bible, a day in your life, after you leave today, you can say you have read at least one of the 66 books of the Bible right here and right now. So we're going to read this. This is a, and we say a letter because Paul writes letters all the time. Almost all his, his writings are letters to the churches. This is unique because this is the only place in the Bible we have a letter that Paul writes, which is one-on-one correspondence. Paul is writing this to, to Philemon, and it's directly to him. It's not to the church as a whole. It's not to a group of people. It's to one person, and that's his friend Philemon. And I want you to hear and follow if, as you're led these words that Paul writes to, to his friend and to his brother in Christ. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, 
and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening and understanding deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now pause, that's our introduction to the letter. That's Paul's beginning, his affirmation of Philemon. Now we're going to get into the meat of why Paul writes this. He says, therefore, verse 8, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, now, let me just pause that. That's Paul being Paul. If you read Paul, in the, he is, there's an authority to him, a power in his authority. And he says, what I'm about to ask, I could tell you to do it as an apostle, but, but he's going to make a different appeal. He says, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that, I, that, that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Ephraim, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends his greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Friends, let's pray. Lord, refresh our spirits by your spirit and help us to hear your word and be challenged in our faith and in our obedience in Christ. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, interesting Labor Day weekend that we've had. Um, this kind of traditional weekend that marks uh, the end of the summer, um, that, um, which, which is hard for us because nothing in Florida marks the end of the summer. But, but you know, those of you that grew up in, in other parts of the country where the climates actually change, uh, you know, kind of Labor Day is this, this end of the summer. It's the last day, ladies and gentlemen, I guess, that we're allowed to wear white. I don't know what that's about, but, um, but, but it's this, it's this three-day weekend that um, honors the American workforce. I mean, that's really what it is. And for us here, it's been very interesting because it's been, for many people, a five-day weekend. Uh, some of you got off work um, because of the storms. 
teachers and schools were closed. Every night beginning Wednesday, it was the same routine. Get on the computer and see whether schools are open tomorrow. And so, um, and because I have two students and a teacher in the household, there was a lot of rooting that they wouldn't be. Um, and so it became a, a wonderful five-day weekend, which selfishly worked out wonderful for us, as I said, with the birth of, of, of my niece and it allowed Tony and the kids to, to be able to be there and, and be more part of that. But it gave many of us here a few extra days vacation. That's what, that's what the storm did. And the reality is, if there's any workforce in the world that needs extra time off, it seems to be the American workforce. Because of industrial nations, we are the worst nation by far of taking vacation. I don't know if you know this, but the, the average American worker takes, a private sector worker takes 16 vacation days a year. That is including eight holidays. So about eight vacation days, and that's the average worker. One in four workers in America takes no vacation through the entire course of the year. And we are the only industrial nation that does not legally mandate employers to provide vacation days. In other parts of the world, most parts of Europe, it's a mandated three weeks of vacation time. The average in America is 18 days. In France, I'm sorry, in Spain, I think it's 31 days. In France and, um, and another country in Europe, maybe England, France, which one? I'm going up. Germany, it's 34 days. In Austria, it's 35 days of vacation a year. Uh, we don't come anywhere near that. And it's not just because people don't get it. I mean, some people, and, and I understand, I don't want to oversimplify things here. There's some reason sometimes that happens. And, and it's, it's a complex issue. But, but it's not just that employees don't get them. We don't take them. Millions of days, collectively, are, are unused of vacation every year. We just don't disconnect from work very well. And as I said, there's a lot of reasons, and it'd be, it would be ridiculous of me to sit up here and to try to, to say, well, this is why and this is why, because it, it varies in situation to situation. But if we could paint some broad strokes that apply in many situations, one of the things that I think we could confidently say is that we don't take vacation because we're not comfortable, many, of disconnecting from work. We're not comfortable, we don't do it very well, and technology has done us no favors because we're never disconnected, we're always tethered in some way. Uh, How many people take, I mean, vacation doesn't even tell you anything because a lot of people can take vacations with their laptops and cell phones and never not be at work. But we have this kind of American ethos, this, this hardworking ethos, which is uh, to be treasured and to be respected. But, but the reality is that we tend to define ourselves so often by the, what we do. You know, when we meet people, we've talked about this, we, we ask, what do you do for a living? We rarely say, what's your favorite vacation spot? You know, what do you like to vacation? I mean, that, that doesn't start. That'll work its way as you get to know somebody. But, but that's not where we begin because we tend to define ourselves by what we do, by what we produce, because that's how we understand we make an impact, we make a difference. And again, that, there, there's some truth there, but it's dangerous when our sense of identity and who we are gets too intertwined with what it is that we do. And we have to, and need to, I think, take a step back. And that's one of the wonderful things that Paul teaches us through this letter in Philemon is, is how to take a step back and see 
from a little bit of a different perspective. Now, let's, let's kind of, um, kind of set the, the scene for this letter to Philemon. Let's, let's um, kind of go a little deeper into what exactly is taking place. Um, Philemon is a, a friend of Paul's. He is a leader of the church, probably in Colossia, though it doesn't say specifically. That's probably where most scholars believe he was, where the church in Colossians was. And, and the church in the day of Paul, in the early church, wasn't a large public gathering the way that we're accustomed to. Church met in the homes. And so, so Philemon was a church leader. He was a home leader. He opened his home to the church, and that's where they met. It's probably a church that Paul founded. Now, here's what we know also about Philemon. Besides his faith, he's wealthy. One, because he has a home big enough for the church to meet in. But two, because he owns slaves. Philemon owns slaves. And one of his slaves is named Onesimus. And that slave has an interesting backstory. Because what we know from the letter is at some point Onesimus ran away. He, became, he got free. He may even have stolen something in the process. We're not sure. But he left his slave owner, his owner, and he broke free. And somewhere in that journey, in that move toward, or an attempt to move toward freedom, he encountered Paul. Maybe he previously knew Paul. It wouldn't be out of the question. But he came into Paul's everyday company. And in that process, he became a committed follower of Jesus. This runaway slave becomes a committed follower of Jesus, and he becomes a servant of Paul, and he becomes a brother to Paul. But in that process, there is a conviction of his heart, and again, we don't know what he was thinking or, or why, but at some point he decides he needs to go back. He needs to go back to Philemon. He needs to go back to the person who legally owned him, and so he does. Now, you've got to understand the risk he's taking here. It could cost him his life, especially if he stole something. It could absolutely cost him his life to go back to the place that he ran away from. So Paul sends him with a letter, and this is the letter that he sends him with. And he basically implores Philemon to receive him differently. Now, let me pause for a moment before I get into the differently part. Let's, let's, let's own up to here. If you're like me, you read this. And what I really wish Paul had done, what I wish I could go back and whisper in Paul's ear as if he needs me to do that, is to say, could you condemn slavery here? Would you, would you do that, please? It would have really been big in our American history if there were some strong words that Paul had spoken and had written here against the evil of slavery. He does not do that. Now, let me say, I don't believe Paul believed slavery was okay. I believe the scriptures testify to that. But it was part of the culture of the day. It was kind of an accepted norm. So Paul doesn't use this occasion to speak out against slavery. That was not his intention. That was not the, what he wanted to communicate as much as we wish he had, as much as I wish he had. But he doesn't. And again, that's not because I believe he or the scriptures in any way speak any other truth but that the slavery is evil. But that's not what happens here. What instead he does is he sends this letter back with Onesimus and he implores Philemon to receive him back differently. And this is what I mean. 
to not receive him as a slave, but as he says in his letter, to receive him as a brother in Christ. Paul writes in Galatians 3, words you may be familiar with, in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, there is no male or female, there is no slave or free, that we are one. And what he says to Philemon is receive him back, not as your property, not as a commodity, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ, to see him differently, again, to level this playing field. And he has every confidence that Philemon is going to do this. We don't have a follow-up letter to know, but he believes that his brother in Christ is going to see Onesimus as his brother in Christ. So he sends him back with a new identity, with a new identity. And that's what really captures my attention here. That identity jumps out, and, and it really comes to life in verse 11. And this is a very, very interesting verse because it's Paul being a little humorous, being a little tongue-in-cheek, if you will, and it completely is lost in translation. But in verse 11, this is what Paul says. He says, formerly, speaking of Onesimus, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and to me. Now, how's that tongue-in-cheek? Onesimus means, in the Greek, useful. That's what his name means. It means useful. So he says, formerly Onesimus was not useful to you, but now he's useful. Formerly he wasn't Onesimus. I send him back to you as Onesimus. And that really intrigues me because I think about that from a practical standpoint. And, and, and I want to tread very carefully here, lest my words be misunderstood as some sort of a, an advocation for, for a system of slavery, which it is absolutely not. But if you think about it in that cultural worldview, he says, formerly your slave was not useless to you. Or, I mean, was not useful to you. Formerly, he was not useful. Now, you think about that practically, and that's what I started to think about practically. How could he not have been useful? He was a slave. He had to do whatever Philemon told him to do. He was at his beck and call. Whether or not we agree with it, and, and I hope we all disagree with it, that's useful. I mean, having somebody that does whatever you ask them to do, I mean, I would prefer somebody who did that voluntarily. I don't know what that's like, but I would like to have somebody who did that voluntarily. So, yeah, she's like, yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> she's like... But to have somebody who just does whatever you tell them, that sounds pretty useful. But Paul sends him back, says that wasn't useful. Onesimus wasn't useful to you then. He wasn't useful to you as a commodity. He wasn't useful because he was judged by his productivity for you. Now he's useful to you. Now he's useful to you because his identity's changed. Onesimus isn't your slave. He's your brother in Christ. Onesimus doesn't work for you. He works for Jesus. And I can't send anyone more useful to you than that. He's different. He's changed. He now lives into his name. Formerly, Onesimus served out of obligation. Now he serves out of compassion and desire. 
Formerly he did what he had to do. Now he does what he wants to do. Formerly he worked for you. Now he works for Jesus. He is different because he is defined and understood differently. And his job doesn't define that. His productivity doesn't define that. That's okay, Mama. Don't worry about it. It, he's, he's understood differently, and so are we. See, there's a danger when we become so tied up in what we do that we forget kind of who we are and, and why we do it. And, and our identity and our sense of self-worth and our sense of usefulness can be tied up into to that job title or, or that... Um, name on a business card, and, and all those things are valuable. They mean something, and of course they do. But that's not what defines you. That's not what defines you. What defines you is who you are in Christ. What defines you is that God says you are a brother and sister with others in faith. You're, you're my child. And so we are useful in all circumstances. Whether you are employed or unemployed, you are Onesimus. You are useful. Whether you are retired or active in your career, you are useful. Whether you have the greatest job in the world and you thank God every morning when you get to go to work, or whether you wake up with dread in your heart because you hate the place you go to work, you are useful. Whether you've got the best coworkers, the worst coworkers, you've got a, a, a boss who values you or a boss who doesn't think twice about you. You are useful because every opportunity is an opportunity God gives you to serve Him. Gives you, to, gives you an opportunity to understand your identity is defined in your relationship with Jesus, not by the title on your business card. And we can step away from being defined by how we labor and be defined by who we labor for. That, that really, the heart of, of Labor Day was because in the later part of the 20th century, the average work week, get this if you don't know, the average work week, especially for, for mill workers and, and um, miners and things, the average work week was 100 hours a week. 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Your entire life was your job. And workers said, no, we are more than that. That's not all of who we are. And they started to push back. And Labor Day kind of commemorated some of the early marches. And, and in 1894, it became a national holiday. But it isn't until 1940 that the average work week became 40 hours a week that we know. And many of us consider long weeks you know, double that and add some. But because even then they realized that's not the all of who I am. We've got to be careful. When the all of who we are it gets defined in the wrong places, again, you're useful when you reach out to a neighbor in a time of need. You are useful when you take a meal to young parents who've just had a child. You're useful um, when, you, when you reach out, uh, when, you, when you come to church and, and you, you help feed folks that come through on a Saturday because they're hungry, or you pack backpacks for kids to go to school, or you put together a shoebox to go halfway around the world to meet the needs of children. That's what defines you as useful because you're engaged in the things that Jesus calls you to do. You're useful when you go to work 
And you use that as an opportunity to reflect Jesus, whether you can name Jesus or not. We talk about this with teachers all the time. Those of you the teachers, I know you can't name Jesus, but you can love like Jesus every day you go to work. And when you see that child through the way that Jesus, and we all can, we all can. That's what makes us useful. And when we do it, we do it to the glory of God. That's what Paul writes both in Colossians and Corinthians. Basically the same verse, different wording, but whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it to his glory because you're defined as useful. Everybody here is immensely useful. You're all Onesimus because you've been defined in Christ. No matter what your situation is. There's something that you can do. There's a way that we can love. There's, there's a, 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 a purpose to the gifts that God has given to us when we engage and when we recognize who defines our worth. And it's not the world, it's Jesus. That's what Paul says. He says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, but you don't define him anymore, Philemon. He's not your slave, he's Christ's servant. He's not your subservient, he's your brother. He's your brother. This man, his name is useful. Friends, hear me say this. Your name is useful. Let's pray. Lord, help us to find our worth, our value, our purpose in you. No matter what our situation in life may be, and some of us here today are in some tough places, and the struggles are real, and you know that, and we don't devalue that. But we know even in the struggle there is purpose. And even in the pain, there is your hand, your plan, your work, and your spirit. And so help us to find our worth and our value in you, to be defined by you, and to be called to the work through you. That is what makes us useful. Help us to be Onesimus and to serve Christ. We pray in his holy name. Amen.